Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Die, monster. You don't belong in this world. Oh, but this world invited me. Your own kind called me forth with praise and tribute. Tribute? You steal men's souls and make them your slaves. <laughs> Freedom is always sacrificed to faith, good hunter. Or are you truly here by choice? Uh, your words are as empty as your soul. Mankind ill needs a savior such as you. Ha! <laughs> Mankind. A cesspit of hatred and lies. Fight for them, then. And die for their sins. Chris. Chris, what the hell are you doing? The... This, this isn't the... Have you played Symphony of the Night? Yeah, it was my favorite PSP game. Uh... Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, uh, voice acting edition, I guess, because we just did a dumb little skip for you. How do You're I do Chris. this fucking thing? I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And it's a morning record. I poured all of my mental faculties into the, that last thing that we just did. Um, welcome. We hope you enjoy your time here with us. Uh, we're here to talk about games, storytelling, how those things go together, and this week, uh, we're going to talk about variations in dubbing variations in production uh variations in script variation just like variation of dialogue yeah i'm gonna broaden that because i have a couple examples that don't involve voice acting yeah absolutely and i think as a way of just sort of setting up this topic we you know clearly just referenced maybe one of the most famous instances of a scene that is beloved but not very good being turned into a scene that is, like, as far as the English language is concerned, objectively better, but not nearly as well-loved. Castlevania Symphony of the Night yes. opens with a, a famous, or not opens, but, like, the, the opening section closes with a famously hammy, goofy, over-the-top confrontation. between a vampire hunter, Richter Belmont, and Dracula. And it is exquisite. Uh, Dylan was reading Richter's part from that. From the uh, PS1 version. <laughs> yeah, the, the original English language translation of this scene. When it was ported to the PlayStation Portable, they redid the voice acting, redid the, a lot of the localization in the script, and you ended up with... Again, it's not as well-loved, probably just because it's not as, like, memorably goofy. Mm -hmm. But it is from a, like how well this works as English prose point of view. <laughs> much superior, and it it had a much more, like, still dramatic, but much more naturalistic sort of vocal performance that they went with, as opposed to the very hammy, over-the-top, like, what is a man that you get in? Uh, Sorry, I had to add the, the glass yeah, shattering I sound effect. You being, I appreciate you being my live-from-here Foley artist for this week. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, so we're kind of going to be looking at that. And again, just to sort of like 
preface this idea like remakes and redos and like revisitations of older things is kind of like everywhere in media right now like mm-hmm. you can't really go online without finding someone very upset about some remake of a classic game or classic movie and i think that where we're kind of going to kind of be coming from is like we Dylan and i both have a background as stage actors yeah and you don't really hear people talking about remakes in live theater because that's just what the industry be like yeah i I was actually thinking about like what my two cents on this was yeah uh, when we picked this a week ago this topic uh i i think that you know it's it's kind of weird because now that we live in a society uh where (laughs) (laughs) uh now that you know we live in a culture where media is preserved it is recorded and preserved and that's performance is considered that that initial performance that you know made the splash made the waves is considered the definitive performance we are as a culture are never going to know exactly what the original performance of romeo and juliet was at the globe right and so i feel like that gives people more creative freedom to put their own spin on things because they don't feel constrained by one artistic vision yeah uh whereas you know now, uh, you know, if you remake Psycho is a bad example because that's a terrible uh, let's, remake. Let's pull from but... the headlines. Uh, Princess Bride. There's that Princess talk Bride. of the potential Good. for a, a Princess Bride remake. Yeah. You know, there's this idea of like, oh, you can't put a spin on that. And, you know, I there's a cynical part of me that doesn't think they would do it justice anyway. But, like, at the same time, I feel like maybe it's just the background I'm from, but I kind of welcome seeing different and alternative takes of beloved stories yeah and and that's kind of what i was gonna say as well like i because my my background in performance is so much stage stuff i like like that's kind of the angle i take when it comes to things like remakes like sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad sometimes i'm like like with the princess bride i don't really care if the remake gets made or not i love Mm -hmm. the original there is a part of me that is curious to see what a remake would involve. There's another part of me that, like, doesn't think it necessarily needs one. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to just remember that, like, I, I think that it is helpful to view remakes not as, like, now it's this instead, and more like, now it's this also. Yeah. Like, it's a um, new creative team with a new idea about what can be done with that text seeing yeah. what they can do with it. I I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I don't want yeah. to get too far away from the episode yeah, that's, subject. That's not necessarily the, the, the episode subject, but like given that we're going to be talking about things like remakes and things like re-releases, that it's an interesting parallel to yeah. this phenomenon we're seeing with a lot of re- remakes and redos of media kind of culturally at large as well. Dylan, I'm, I'm honestly going to lean on you a little bit on this episode because I feel like this is a topic that you just know more about than I do. As oh no! As, like, as, okay. as far as having examples to pull from, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 going to be here and I'm going to be engaging with you, but I think that you you have more of a knowledge of like good talking points and good things to bring up about this. I I do have a couple off the dome. Um, right. I I did put a little bit of research into this, but maybe not as much as I should have. <laughs> That's fair. I guess right now, ahead of time, I'm going to give a shout out to. I believe his name is Mado. Uh, he does. Uh, he has a site called Legends of Localization, I believe it is. He will compare uh, the scripts for multiple games. Um, 
I, I think his first big thing, he's known for translating Mother 3. He's he's okay. the guy who did the okay. fan translation for Mother 3. And then on top of that, uh, he's he's since gotten work in the industry. And he, he has a website where he will kind of break down, and he did Earthbound. I think he started with Earthbound, where he would look at the Japanese uh, original script and see how it was translated and kind of theorize on why the change was made, uh, what the original joke was and how it was being transferred to register with an American audience, uh, stuff like that. And it's it's really interesting. I highly recommend people check it out if that sounds like your thing at all. Okay. But um, I know in particular he did Final Fantasy 4 and 6, which are two of the, you know, I wouldn't say biggest in the series. 6 definitely is. 4 is a little less so. But uh, they have both been released Numer- uh, re-released numerous times and mm-hmm. so there's there's like two scripts for final fantasy 6 but there's like four well oh, there's dang. Th- no there, <laughs> there's three for final fantasy 4 there's the snes version then there's the ps1 version uh and then there's the ds version the ps1 version basically got edited and tweaked for the game boy advance and then subsequently the psp version okay. so that's technically uh four scripts <laughs> yikes uh five scripts five so there's scripts. a lot to dig into uh, about Final yeah, Fantasy it, it's, <laughs> it's technically five scripts but uh for all intents and purposes it's you know two of them are just revisions of one of them so yeah uh, and then he also looks at the fan translations so it's a it's a very interesting hole to get into so i i will be talking a little bit about that but i won't really dwell on that because i feel like at that point, you could just go to the site. Yeah. <laughs> go, go listen to the. Go, go read the thoughts of this man who knows more than us. Yeah, uh, legendsoflocalization.com. But anyway, uh, yeah. So let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about the about thing. Castlevania because that's what we were starting. Yeah. With. Why Why the hell not? Let's just start where start where we started. Yes. Uh, so the original PS One Castlevania is a classic. Castlevania Symphony of the Night, um, to be specific. Yeah. I think when the PSP re-release came, it was it was bundled as a secret unlockable in the remake of Castlevania Rondo of Blood, Castlevania The Dracula X Chronicles. If that sounds confusing to you, congratulations. It was confusing to me, too, <laughs> uh, when I originally picked the game up some ten years ago. <laughs> but uh, essentially, they, they remade uh, Castlevania Rondo of Blood, and then with it, they had as secret unlockables the original Castlevania Rondo of Blood and Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which is Rondo of Blood's direct sequel. Those games have since been re-released again on PS4. So, you know, the Rondo of Blood had voice acting, and so they decided to dub that, and then they dubbed the original Rondo of Blood in English for the first time ever, and then I guess because they had the voice cast and the cast between the two games is largely the same... They just decided to redub Castlevania Symphony of the Night, and that was controversial. <laughs> um, like we were talking about earlier, when when something is established and it is something that you can go back to at any time, people are going to react to change pretty negatively. Yeah, definitely. And so, <laughs> and so you know, there, there's some really good voice talent on the uh, Rondo of Blood re-release. I, I think the voice acting's a little hokey here and there, but, like, not bad by any means. Um, and that was the one that we were we were using for reference, right? 
That yeah, that was the one you were reading yeah. for Dracula on. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I got to I just got to voice act in the style of Patrick Seitz, which like yeah. goals. So, so. <laughs> uh Patrick Seitz is Dracula. Uh you got Yuri Lowenthal as uh Alucard. I don't remember the name of Jin, but uh I know that Michelle Ruff was uh Maria Renard. Holy shit, Tony David Oliver Vincent. was Shaft? Yeah, okay. So David Vin- uh, Vincent was Richter Belmont and Tony Oliver was Shaft. Uh Shaft being don't worry about it. Um <laughs> It's it's not the black exploitation hero, um, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> it's not. All of these voice actors are great. I love them all. I'm I have Patrick Seitz's and Tony Oliver's autographs. I love them. They're great. Uh, but for whatever reason, like you know, people reacted negatively to the change. Al- the main character of Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Alucard. He's, you know, if you've seen the Netflix. Uh, Castlevania TV show, you already know this, but Alucard is a very Bishonen, pretty uh, half-vampire character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, Yuri Lowenthal does what Yuri Lowenthal does, and voices him with this very fair, um, kind of elegant... Yuri Lowenthal has a a much higher voice than Alucard's original voice. Also a much Uh, higher voice than either of us. True. (laughs) But he was voiced by Robbie Belgrade in the original, who has, like, this very smooth, deep voice. And, you know, for the most part, his, like, his line reads are really good. Um, And he's very beloved. They brought him back for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. So that that in itself is a very controversial change. And then, you know, the, you change the most memorable lines in the... It's... 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 Bleh. But I, I think to examine it, um, definitely I feel like you know, we have this talent pool, let's make it consistent across the the three games, or the two games and its remake. Yeah. So, I, I definitely get it. And then Alucard is more or less, or Yuri Lowenthal has more or less been the voice for Alucard in the games since then. Has, and this is a question because you, I assume, just sort of have more insight into the Castlevania fan base than I do. Has that come to be accepted uh, to my knowledge no <laughs> okay <laughs> um i mean like it doesn't help that like these games came out more than a decade ago yeah um and like castlevania's kind of been dead since lords of shadow fair enough <laughs> like you know lords of shadow was a complete reboot so new cast different actors um lords and then, of shadow was that know, 3d one right yeah yeah it yeah. was it, yeah, it was a very different type of story, tonally, aesthetically. Um, Gameplay-wise. Gameplay-wise. <laughs> so, you know, they were going for something different there. And then, you know, the Netflix series has not anime voice actors. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, I think, and again, this is, a, this is an artifact of, like, media nowadays is much more permanent. Yeah. But, like, while I have... Actors that spring to mind is like, oh man, I love that guy. I loved when I saw this actor do X character. Mm-hmm. It's a very different thing when like, and I think you brought this up earlier. It's hard to know what it would have been like when Shakespeare's plays were being premiered at the Globe. Like the first time they did them again, were there like crotchety old men being like, mm, they bastardized <laughs> it by not having my favorite Hamlet. Like, 
exit uh, pursued by bear. There was no bear on that stage. How dare they? Actors these days are getting soft. They're making a mockery of the bard. That's Uh, that's the winter's tale for those who don't know. (laughs) Yep. We have good reason to believe due to other artifacts and documents from the era there may have been a bear on that stage like a real live one (laughs) ah they just don't make them like they used to (laughs) it's an interesting thing because like by comparison there's someone like and this is you know less about remakes and re-releases and redubs but you look at a character like sonic the hedgehog who has had three voice actors over the course of his mainstream don't do this to me chris <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say five and leave it there because if i do any more research into it i will go crazy <laughs> this is fair we, i've just opened up a pandora's box in front of dylan and been let's like, see uh, there's jaleel white who did the saturday morning cartoons yeah uh the like so that's three shows and then there's i don't know his name but <laughs> you whoever... couldn't leave well enough alone uh, no, no, but uh, whoever did the ADV voice dub for the Sonic the Hedgehog OVA. Who's incredible. I can't think of his name either, but I love that performance. Um, right, right. Uh, and then you got Ryan Drummond, who was the voice of the Dreamcast games, as well as Sonic Heroes. And then after that, they switched to the New York 4Kids talent. And that, not 4Kids, but whatever the dubbing company was for that. Um, and that was jason griffith and then after jason griffith you have roger craig smith who was the current voice of sonic the hedgehog they're all very like they all kind of have the similar spirit but like they're all very different for obvious reasons yeah and i think that it's an interesting parallel because i've definitely heard people who have a preference but from for one sonic voice or another it's like people saying their favorite bond yeah but (laughs) you don't you don't run into at least I have not run into the same amount of, like, vitriol mm-hmm. that comes from things like the Castlevania voice cast change. There are definitely a lot of people who don't like uh, the current voice for Sonic, which I feel like is a little unfair because it's more the material, like, it's more the way that they're writing Sonic is, like, a very different personality. But there's been a lot of criticism of Roger Craig Smith's Sonic as being, like, too, like, overly smarmy. Which is really weird when you consider the origins of the character. Yeah, but, I was gonna say. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess, like, people, Sonic fans uh, specifically, they Jason Griffith brought, like, a certain wholesomeness to it. Like, okay, so to, to kind of cover it, Ryan Drummond's, like, very, like, skater. He's he's the one that everyone kind of knows is, like, the, whoa, way past cool. Yeah, um, he, was, he was Dreamcast, right? He was Dreamcast, yeah. Yeah, so... All of all of your all of your Sonic Adventure Two meme voice yeah, bits, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I'll make you eat those words. Yeah, I- exactly, exactly. Um, you know, Jason Griffith Sonic, he will do the catchphrases and like, you know, he's the one who says "gotta go fast." But I think for the most part, when he's just acting, when he's just performing the character, he kind of voices him with like this wholesomeness. Yeah, that I I don't think you get from the character a lot of the time. And so I, I think that endeared him to a lot of people. And I, I think that's also because he also voices, you know, Shadow the Hedgehog. So he, <laughs> he really kind of had to differentiate the two characters. And I, I think that kind of led to a, a, a take on the character that won a lot of people, Sonic fans, over. Yeah, and that's definitely fair. But it's, and I wonder if it's because 
Sonic has changed hands so many more times that there's not as much of a, like, rabid attachment to, like, the OG as you get right. with some of these other instances. I, I definitely I also... think that's the case. I just want to say, Roger Craig Smith, I apologize on behalf of the Sonic fandom. Because <laughs> I... I no, noted think... guy who listens to our podcast, Roger Craig Smith, I would fucking explode if that was true. <laughs> I, would, I would melt into a puddle. Yeah. Uh, but, like, honestly, you know, there, there's this... Because I, I think a lot of Sonic fans are kind of burnt out on the memory that the Sonic series has kind of gone into, where it's like they know that they're quote-unquote cringe, and so they they kind of lean into that, and they're, yeah. they're very yeah. self-deprecating with their humor now. And I think part of that is, like, Roger Craig Smith is, when he voices Sonic, like, Sonic is a very smarmy character who probably lacks some self-consciousness. And people people really don't take well to that. And, that you know, you have that. And then in Sonic Boom, it's even more because Sonic Boom is a show that is completely written around the concept of, we're just going to laugh at, like, the weird cultural zeitgeist of Sonic the Hedgehog. And sometimes that's really good, and sometimes not so much. Sometimes it's very tiring. <laughs> um, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there that I, I feel like another thing to consider is that because Sonic, it's not like Roger Craig Smith has redubbed Sonic Adventure 2. Uh, no. It, it is a continuously e evolving series that the tone of the writing kind of evolves with the you know, with the memes of the fan base. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I just, I, I thought that was something interesting to point out, and now yeah. we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go fast into Got the playbill. <laughs> Got, gotta, gotta shill fast. All right, so here we are in the Playbill, y'all. This is where we talk about other things that we have going on and other cool things that you should check out that feature one or both of us. For starters, you mentioned earlier a bit of trivia that might pertain to listeners of your other podcast. Yes, I, I did have a little bit of trivia for Dude, You Remember Macross, which is a show that I am doing with our friend Coop. Uh, where we talk about the old anime, science fiction, mecha anime, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, and its associated media, its sequels. We recently did Gunbuster, which the character designer of Macross also worked on. And, uh, you know, it's it's a fun time. Uh, we, we weeb out a lot. So if you want to feel less bad about how much of a weeb you are... <laughs> you should check out Dude You Remember Macross at anchor.fm slash Dude You Remember. Uh, we are now also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Hell yeah. You should also check out The Unexplored Places. They are an actual play podcast formerly in the Monster of the Week game system for their season one, which was about spooky shit in rural Ohio. For the last month, month and a half, they've been putting out some interstitial episodes an arc called oh dang bigfoot stole my car with my best friend's birthday present inside another arc where we played a game of fiasco called catfishes the rock opera uh and now tomorrow when this episode comes out season two baby oh my season God. two tango sector a sci-fi actual play podcast uh 
I'm in this one. This one's got a little bit of Chris in it. Uh, this one's also going to have a little bit of Dylan in it. In That me. Yeah, it's going to be a real good time. We've recorded a few times for uh, some of the actual play of it already, and it's incredibly fun, and I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. You can find that by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com or by following at unexploredcast on Twitter. I have a Twitter, too. It's at CJ Wilson VA. Uh, I tweet about shit that I'm doing professionally. I t- retweet dumb things that make me laugh. Uh, I retweet a lot of like other like voice acting opportunities and things like that. So if you're an amateur voice actor, I'll, I tend to retweet audition things that I come across. Uh, and I still can't say it today when this episode comes out. But on Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> There's going to be some news from Chobani. And okay, I'm... I was wondering how long I'd have to wait. Yeah, no. It's... Okay. For reference, I, I cannot say what it is, but the first video game that features my voice is releasing this coming Thursday. And I'm so excited. But yeah, so, you know, I, I post announcements. I retweet work of people that I like. I retweet all kinds of stuff. And you can follow me on Twitter. You should also follow Dylan on Twitter. Dylan posted the most wholesome thing this morning and it made me smile oh thank you he just tweeted i'm getting my life back together and it, i'm happy to hear that my friend thanks buddy uh it it, it was a year in the making but like I, <laughs> that's I feel a real like... mood right there <laughs> <laughs> but like i i feel like i'm finally kind of i i, I got the i got the the makings of a road plan ahead of me hell so. yeah and where can people follow you for more updates on your happiness well, <laughs> it's it's more of a personal Twitter than anything, but uh, you should follow me at the Dilla. That is T H A underscore D I L A. Hell and oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say hell do yeah. your hell yeah, yeah. Hell do yeah. your hell yeah. Fuck. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> there we go. Like butter. And <laughs> a couple quick thank yous. Thank you number one to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a network full of shows about video games and shows looking at this medium that we all like from a variety of different angles so we've got you know our show which presumably you understand if you're listening to it uh but there's also shows like game dev diaries which looks at like the actual development side there's games like super gamer boys which is more of like a game news and hangout kind of podcast if you're interested in video games they've got something for you and we would highly recommend you check them out you can find them on Twitter at HPVG Pod Network. And we're presumably going to be getting a website sometime in the near future, but that's still a work in progress. And also, thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. This podcast is brought to you by you, like PBS up in this bitch. <laughs> uh, and the fact that we have this group of people who are helping us and helping to support things like the overhead costs and keep us from losing money making this project week after week is incredible and humbling and thank you very much to everyone who has done that if you want to support us and want to help us grow this thing and make it better and get uh better equipment and better you know more time to do work like this patreon.com slash bsg pod is the place to do that 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's dive back in. Let's talk about more shit that made people angry. Yeah, so I'm actually... uh, Okay, so yeah, let's talk about Devil May Cry. I've talked about it on the show in the past. And uh, I've also talked about how it's kind of changed director's hands. It's also changed uh, voice cast. A lot. And so, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I, I think I'll just, I'll focus on Dante, specifically. Because if I if I talk about Trish and Lady getting recast, I'll, I'll be here for a while. <laughs> we'll um, never leave. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll focus on Dante and Virgil. So, Devil May Cry 1 was a thing. I feel like I have to do this every time I mention Devil May Cry, but uh, just for any new listeners, Devil May Cry 1 was a thing. It's good, a little hokey by today's standards, but still fun. And, you know, that had its own voice cast. And then Devil May Cry 2 came out. Not a great game, but also had a different voice cast. Uh, And really not much to be said about it. Uh, And then Devil May Cry 3 came out, which put more emphasis on story, had more cutscenes, and cast Ruben Langdon as Dante. Uh, He's done like motion capture i think he was in a couple tokusatsu shows in japan which is like uh power rangers equivalent uh i don't think it was actually power rangers though or super sent whatever right. um <laughs> something super sentai common writer s yeah so you know he's a bit of a stunt man is basically what i'm getting at has uh done screen acting in both japan and u.s and so he was cast for devil may cry 3 and you know he that's he owns the studio where they do the motion capture and so he uh he 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 does the voice of dante he does the motion capture for dante in essence he is dante um and he also pushed to hire um other stunt workers uh you know people who've done like you know power ranger stunt work stuff like that to do the motion capture and you know the fight choreography for devil may cry 3 yeah devil may cry 3 is a smash hit. Um, I would argue that it kind of defined the tone of that the series would take from then on out. It also, in a way, kind of defined what character action games would be from yes. that point forward. To a I, I would definitely ag- degree. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, Devil May Cry three was not done by the director of Devil May Cry one, but you could definitely see he took notes of Devil May Cry three when he released Bayonetta. Uh, a few years later. Um, and so, Devil May Cry 4 comes out, and it has a returning cast. Holy shit, incredible. Um, <laughs> now we, we actually have, like, a consistent, like, style, tone, and even even uh, voice talent for these characters. And so now these characters actually feel like they're set in stone. They they feel like they have a solid personality. The, the tone is consistent. And then the very next game that comes out, I want to say four or five years later, is a reboot. With yep. the only two returning characters being Dante and his evil twin brother Virgil. And they're voiced by completely different people in a completely different completely art different. style. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, I think, you know, people have 
talked about the reboot and have bashed it for various reasons. I think a lot of the hate is overblown, but I also think a lot of the hate is... <laughs> well, let me choose my words carefully. <laughs> um, I, I think that a lot of the fan pushback comes from the fact that, like, the tone is so different just as soon as we were solidifying a consistent tone and style for the series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that smarts. I remember that smarted for me when I first saw the reveal trailer, where it was like, you know, we finally had something going, and then we pulled the plug again. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm not gonna spend too much time bashing the Devil May Cry reboot, because I genuinely think it's fine. But there there is something to be said about that kind of abrupt change. And yeah. I, I, I think... I, I want to say right now, I think everyone, in terms of, like, performance and behind the creation of this game, did the best they could. There was talent that was put into this game. And I, I think, like, the abrupt tonal shift is not aided by the fact that, like, the character of Dante is, like, supposed to be, like, very goofy and loving. And the tonal shift that they were going for, this Dante was something more spiteful and mean-spirited. And I, yeah. I that that's the best way I can put like the distinction between the two characters. I don't want to call it like edgy or try hard because I don't think that's what they were going for. But it should be said that like what they were going for was definitely perceived as something more hateful than yeah. uh the original, uh, which was kinda delighted in how silly it was being. Yeah. And I I think that that is an important sort of distinction to make, is that a lot of times like there are there are people and there are always going to be people who hear something that is not the same as the previous installation of that thing and for that reason think it is bad. Mm -hmm. And like they are entitled to that opinion. What we're trying to do here is do more of a look at like, you know, in those cases where it was kind of reviled like with DMC Devil May Cry, which just left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. You're not saying that like this bad therefore bad. You're saying like you're looking at what is different and what they were going for and why that might have been. In, in trying to appeal to a larger demographic, they alienated um, the fan base they had cultivated, yeah. particularly with the last two entries Yeah, that have grown attached to this kind of sillier, more fun-loving version of Dante. Did they course correct with DMC5? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was about to say, it's all okay, though, because Devil May Cry 5 came out, and, you know, they, they took notes from DMC Devil May Cry, which, you know, reinforces my statements that, like... It's it's not like a completely throwaway thing. They they tried to incorporate some more of the pathos that DMC Devil May Cry introduced. I think for the most part, like I wouldn't I wouldn't say they nailed it, but like I th I think they had enough of what people liked about the two respective series that like they were able to kind of take a step forward. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't want this to turn more into, like, let's talk about Devil May Cry, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess, like, what I wanted to focus in on was, like, the, the voice talent itself being... Because I, I think what I, what I was saying about the series themselves kind of reflect in the direction that the actors were uh, being taken in. Right. Okay, so, yeah, we can, we can move on. Let's talk about Silent Hill. <laughs> Silent Hill. Silent Hill 2 is a classic. Um I I only played it earlier this year, but like even in like the first like 30 minutes of the game, like when I got to like the second cutscene in the game, I realized, "Oh shit. This is a masterpiece." <laughs> uh 
Like, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that lightly. Uh, I think part of what makes that game so memorable is in addition to, you know, the level design, the enemy design, just a lot of artistry went into designing that game. The voice acting is really interesting. And, you know, I, I think, like, a lot of people will say, like, oh, it's it's pretty amateurish voice acting. But I, I feel like that kind of undersells, like, what they were going for. Because they were also directed to voice the characters in a way that didn't seem quite right. And, you know, they're they're not... I didn't know that. That's that's what I've been told. Uh, that's that's word of mouth. So yeah, citation needed. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I I don't have the receipts, but you know <laughs> that that is what I've been told. And you know what? I will commonly accept. I will commonly accept the lie if it is such. Yeah. Regardless, I I think what's interesting is that their the their voice acting kind of fits the small town vibe of Silent Hill. Where it, you know, it is a cursed Midwest town, but it is also, you can kind of see the remnants of the Midwest town, like the quiet Midwest town it used to be. Yeah. And so I feel like having these voice actors who, again, like people say amateurish, but I feel like that's underselling them. Right. Um, there's something, it, all, it, it, it almost makes me think of community theater, if I'm being honest. Okay. We're like, and I, I, I don't know how to properly describe it, but there's there's a very down-to-earth feel about the voice direction. And um, having played Silent Hill 2, I, I definitely get why people were upset when in the HD remaster of Silent Hill 2, they decided to redub the entire voice cast. And it's a similar case to Castlevania Symphony of the Night, where... You know, you have some A-list voice actors going on. Uh, Troy Baker voices the main character. Oh, dang, really? <laughs> yeah, like, for real. I um, <laughs> <laughs> see you, Konami. Yeah, you, you got Troy Baker. I'm, like, pretty sure Laura Bailey's in there. I, I feel like, you know, if you know the Catherine voice cast... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, sure who's, it's a who's who of good, well-regarded voice actors for the video game industry. Yeah, and so when I was... When I was a freshman who had never played Silent Hill 2, uh, and, like, this re-release got announced, and I was listening to the different, the comparison between the different voices, you know, 18-year-old Dylan was like, these voices of these established voice actors are objectively better, because, you know, <laughs> that's what a freshman in college would say. Yeah. Um, but I, I do feel like a certain thing is lost by because i i also feel like the the voice acting is less off kilter it is less uncanny mm -hmm. um, and this is a game that's built on the uncanny exactly and so i i think that is something huge uh and uh, again not for nothing i have i after playing silent hill 2 i i watched cutscenes again of uh the the re-release and i'm listening to the voice acting and i'm like this is perfectly serviceable. This is well done. But I think that's the problem. It's missing that uncanny factor right. to it. Okay. And I, I guess this is the first. Uh, this is the first case where I will actually explicitly state my preference. But that's <laughs> that's that's not to demean like the great work that the other people did. That's just to kind of put a magnifying lens on what I consider to be 
you know, it they went for a strong direction, and that strong direction worked. Yeah. As we would say uh, at Kenyon's theater department, uh, bold choice, gold choice. Yeah. So it was it was a a one of those situations where like they they made it you know from a verisimilitude and like realism of voice acting and believability of voice acting they made it better, but in doing so they kind of removed an element of the kind of underpinning of what makes the game work. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, with Castlevania Symphony of the Night, you have something that is, you know, both dubs, regardless of the voice actors, like, I feel like they're kind of leaning in on the hokiness of it. Right. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's whatever brand of hokiness you prefer. Uh, Yuri Lowenthal is a talented voice actor, and I, I think, you know, I am voicing a vampire prince, so I'm going to kind of lean into that theatricality. You know that's that's kind of that's that's the job. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think I think it's you know it's one brand of hokey versus another, and whichever one you grew up with or were exposed to is the one you're going to prefer. I think something like uh, Silent Hill is more like this is uncanny and otherworldly, and this is I'm I don't want to say more believable because I I actually feel like there are moments in the original Silent Hill too where like the characters are played with enough lucidity that they do feel believable. And then they like slowly go back into this kind of weird dreamlike. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make a weird connection. Okay. Yeah. So stick with me. So magic, the gathering. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still with you. Magic, the gathering has gone has gone through several changes with regards to this but in particular there was one very large change made in the 8th edition of the game to the card frame so the you know the how the card looks what the text looks like what the boxes that hold the text looks like what the sort of layout of the card is and prior to that all of the different cards and this is i'm i'm stealing a lot of this this is a thought that was brought to my attention by watching a uh a youtube channel called ristic studies which is a guy who does video essays about magic the gathering history and art primarily but he he was pointing out that prior to this change the original printings of magic cards were very much flavor over function so like the black cards, the background was sort of this like bubbling cauldron look, and the text box looks like looked like a piece of old parchment. Whereas the green cards, the backdrop was kind of like green and splotchy, and the 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 text box looked like a plank of wood. And all like all of the different colors and all the different kinds of cards had this very like flavorful look to them. Yeah, yeah, that was. Okay, I think I see where you're going with yeah. this, but continue. That was then diminished when 8th edition came out and the, at the time, modern card frame, and it's still what's referred to as the modern card frame, even though the, it's changed incrementally more since then. This was the big change, and it streamlined a lot of that. It, it broke down a lot of those, like, things that made all the cards look different in favor of having sort of a uniform look, which was good from a, like, making the game playable and making the game clearly understandable at a glance perspective, but you lost a little bit of like a, a something of the fantasy of the game and something of the mm -hmm. like the you know fantastical element was taken yeah. away from it. And 
all of this is a way of saying like this sounds like a similar thing that happened with this change in the silent hill voice cast yeah definitely streamlining but losing like just a little bit of something that made the original interesting yeah yeah Um... anyway that's a lot on (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry i appreciate you going with me on that admittedly very strange tangent no but like it it definitely makes sense uh i guess uh the last thing we'll touch on is final fantasy oh and so i i touched on this near the beginning of the episode uh you guys should check out legends of localization for a deeper dive into final fantasy 4 and 6 but i'll i'll cover them really quickly so final fantasy 4 on the Super Nintendo, the translation is very of its time. Uh, <laughs> like, it's very basic. It's, you know, they, they had to kind of cut out a lot of flavor uh, to fit the uh, the space limitations because you can convey a lot more with Japanese characters than yeah. you can with yeah. the Roman alphabet. You can fit a lot more words and phrases and, you know, stuff like that. And so... Yeah, that is that is a translation that's known for being very dry. And I think most people who play the game, if they are playing the original Super Nintendo version, they will patch it. Uh, they will either patch it for... Because it's also... Uh, ma- it was made much easier than the original Japanese Final Fantasy IV. They took out a lot of features and stuff okay. for the American release. Um, so, you know, they will usually use a fan translation on the uh, Japanese version of the game. I don't know a lot about that because I've never really looked into it. I I looked at a couple parts of the fan translation and it wasn't for me. I I grew up with the Game Boy Advance translation, which is based on the PS1 translation that came out after the Super Nintendo version. Hmm. Um, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> uh, check that. But uh, yeah, no, uh, the PS1 translation is better. It's got it's definitely got more personality. But you can tell that there are moments where they were just like, I'm going to riff on this here. Or, you know, I'll, I'll add, like, a liberty here or such. Yeah. And it still works. But, like, it's also very kind of, uh, this isn't the character. <laughs> gotcha. Like, uh, the Dark Knight Cecil, he becomes a paladin about a third of the way through the story of Final Fantasy IV. And his rival, Kane who uh, is on the enemy side, he kind of looks at Cecil's paladin form, which, you know, he's got long flowing white hair. He, he's got, like, eyeliner and um, mascara. He's got purple <laughs> lipstick because this is Yoshitaka Amano's he, art style. He's gone full middle school goth. He's <laughs> uh, more like glam rock, but... Into you it. Know, it's, it's, it's the Yoshitaka Amano yeah. art style. Um, and so he... Uh, Kane says uh kane's the name of his rival he goes that drag suits you and it's like he didn't say that i don't believe (laughs) that (laughs) and it's it's fascinating because that's like that's you coming at this from or i guess let can i just for clarification go ahead is that the text in the first translation that you played no that that was text in the one right before the one that i played Gotcha. So that's and the so, PS1 version, and I played the GBA version, which is based on that script, but that line of dialogue was like, yeah, no, let's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna edit that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um And like, you know, pl- playing the PS1 version and then the Game Boy Advance version and then the PSP version, which are all based on that script, 
uh, is very interesting to see what tweaks they've done and what they... Final Fantasy IV is my second favorite Final Fantasy game I'm going to throw out real quick. So I, I, I've played that game a lot. It's also one of the shorter Final Fantasy uh, titles. Right. So, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time playing the different versions of that game. And it's, uh, there, there's another line, uh, near the beginning of the game where Cecil and Kane they start out on the same side, and, uh, they're given a mission by the king to go through this cave and deliver a package to a nearby village. And so, there's a line that, like, the translator completely riffed on, where he was like, we're going to make it, uh, so that... Cecil and Kane have a bit of a Legolas Gimli thing going on where they they're kind of boasting to each other about like how I'm going to kill more goblins than you. Okay. Um and I I've always really liked that line. That was in the first translation that I played. Apparently that was never in the script. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting cuz there's there's different things that kind of there's there's nuances that are added and lost with localization. And just with localization that's always the kind of the challenge is like there are there are going to be things in the original Japanese mm-hmm. that carry weight that just would not translate to English and to Western audiences. Yeah. And so that sort of the challenge with this kind of localization is always like finding ways to keep the spirit of what's there. But sometimes that can mean making some pretty drastic changes to the original text in order to keep it close to what the original text was intending. Yeah. So the DS version of Final Fantasy IV is a complete from the ground up 3D remake. Um, it's also hard as shit. <laughs> um, but that game, you know, because it was redone from the ground up, because it has voice acted cutscenes. Ironically, Cecil, uh, the main character, voiced by Yuri Lowenthal again, <laughs> our good buddy. And this time, uh, I'm going to throw out that I always read uh, Cecil's dialogue as a kid with more of a Vigo Mortensen. Uh, kind of voice because you know lord of the rings was huge fair um, enough yeah we were definitely I, I kinda, in i gave that. him like a yeah an aragorn-esque <laughs> tone to his lines even even when he's rocking the uh glam rock look but so you know at first i was like i love yuri lowenthal he's voiced some of my favorite characters but also hmm but you know he does a great <laughs> job um and he still voices cecil to this day whenever he's in like he makes cameo appearances in other crossover games and stuff like that yeah uh because there is voice acting in that game uh they you know they had to kind of do the script from the ground up so that you could sync up the cutscenes that had voice acting you could sync the dialogue up with the voices and so final fantasy 4 kind of follows suit in with uh final fantasy 12 where the the script is i don't want to say elizabethan but they are kind of going for that more highbrow not purple prose, because I feel like people misuse that term. Yeah. Uh, but more verbose, more eloquent uh, is what they're going for. And it's also the most accurate script, uh, according to the guy behind Legends of Localization. So that was that's interesting. I, I don't really have much more to say uh, to that, but I, I just thought it was an interesting yeah. like kind of like beat by beat by beat. On this topic, I just want to play one of my lesser-used nerd cards here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because you might think that getting pissy over localization is, like, specifically to, you know, like, a, a gaming and anime sort of fan base thing. Oh, no, my friend. Oh, no, you're going to hit us with that 
<laughs> with that uh classics my friend classics thank yeah, you classic scholars are just as pissy about their translations and let me tell you as someone who does not read ancient greek i have opinions about uh some translations of some uh some ancient greek plays and uh <laughs> epics and the one thing that i just want to like point out is there's there is an the iliad one of the foundational texts for like how storytelling done work in the Western tradition. It begins, and I like I said, I do not speak ancient Greek, but the Iliad is written in verse. It is a poem. It is an epic poem. Right. It is rarely translated as a poem, and when it is translated as a poem, it's usually bad. Yeah. A guy named Stanley Lombardo, who has translated both the Iliad and the Odyssey, and his odyssey or his iliad begins in the best way that any translation of the iliad ever has begun Mm -hmm. let me see if i can find a bad translation okay yeah yeah. real quick no this is cool i'm I'm digging this and I've, i've i just googled iliad and found the first translation i could it's but translated by a guy named samuel butler i've never heard of samuel butler before in my life this is not me taking on samuel butler this is me taking on like the common way of translating these texts okay and it begins sing O goddess the anger of achilles son of peleus that brought countless ills upon the achaeans many a brave soul did it send hurrying down to hades and many a hero did it yield a, pe- a prey to dogs and vultures for so were the counsels of jove fulfilled from the day on which the son of atreus king of men and great achilles first fell out with one another and that's fine it's kind of stuffy uh, it's very heavy <laughs> it's very heavy lombardo does not fuck around with anything like that I don't so I'm actually, assuming he he streamlines it a lot and makes it he read. makes it so fucking good it makes it I, flow yeah, I do not hustle and flow. <laughs> I do not own his copy or his translation of the Iliad, which is something I very much hate. But from memory, as best as I can remember, he begins it. Rage, sing, goddess Achilles, rage that cost the Achaeans countless lives. Which is immediate, like it's quicker, it's more evocative. Mm-hmm. The the when it's typeset, the first line is just the word rage. And yeah. then it continues, which just does such a better job of, like, setting up for what the Iliad is about. And I do not know if that is accurate to the original Greek. I do not read ancient Greek. I've never mm-hmm. studied ancient Greek. Right. But that choice on his part, and, like, the rest of the translation is fantastic. It is my favorite translation of the Iliad, and I've had to read a lot of different translations of the Iliad in school. Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. Um, But, like, that beginning is so evocative of, like, what makes for a good translation and what makes for, to bring it back to the topic at hand, good localization. It's about, keep like, finding the key elements that will let the idea translate, even if the language does not translate super cleanly. Yeah. And it's interesting to see games that have been relocalized and relocalized because you kind of learn what was important about the localization and what was important about the script mm-hmm. and how those priorities changed as time went on between those yeah. localizations. I do find it interesting in the case of Final Fantasy IV, like kind of looking at like the every subsequent translation of the PS1 version and thinking... Okay, 
what works, what doesn't, what feels out of the spirit of this game, what yeah. what feels like it could be closer. But like never actually like going and reinventing the wheel because it is it at the end of the day it was still a translation that worked. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Uh Final Fantasy Six uh was done by one guy. Uh it was translated by one guy, Ted Woolsey, and this was before so localization was kind of weird because there was a lack of a lot of communication and it was usually just one guy translating the whole game which for an rpg is nuts yeah um there's a lot there's a lot to do there it wasn't until uh xenogears where like the english translator was like okay we need a department for this shit (laughs) (laughs) final fantasy 6 is interesting because it is beloved and it was done by a guy who had to do it in like a month i think two months um, that just like gave me heart palpitations and so like he he sticks to the spirit of the script like remarkably well maybe it's a little happier because it's on a nintendo console and so like he kind of took he kind of trimmed around some of the darker elements of the script and so like you know there there are also numerous lines where if he couldn't figure out what it was he would just kind of have to be like all right i'm gonna riff and do my own thing but like <laughs> Those are beloved, and they are so beloved that when they did completely retranslate the game for the Game Boy Advance, they kept a lot of the script. Like, there's there's definitely a lot that got cut and was more in the spirit of the original. For example, uh, there's a gambler named Setzer. In the original, he's he's kind of, uh, in Ted Woolsey's script, he's kind of a, a free spirit who's like, he's a thrill seeker. And in the, uh, in the, in the Game Boy Advance version, in presumably the original Japanese, he's kind of, he's someone who's really has like no will to live. And he just kind of gambles his life every day because it's the only thing that makes him feel alive. Yikes. Uh, yeah. So like very, very big differences. I, I, I can't really go into it much more than that, but, uh, there are some memorable lines, uh, where that are kept and like only slightly changed, like Kefka, the, the main villain of the game when the party escapes by like getting into a machine and bur- bur- burrowing, sorry, burrowing into under the ground, Kefka says, "Son of a submariner, you'll pay for this," um, <laughs> which is a really funny thing to say that doesn't that's quite amazing. make sense, but it's it's a great line of dialogue. And there's that's changed to like "son of a sandworm." Um, there's another that's not line. Nearly Kefka, as fun. It's not nearly as fun. No. Uh, but there's there's another good one where like there's there's a line where Kefka's kind of screaming at his lackeys and he's like, "You idiots, dispose uh, like dispose of those who oppose us." Um, and that's that gets also changed. incredible. Th- that gets changed to "You morons, there's a reason why oppose rhymes with dispose. Kill them all." And you know you can tell they they were having fun with the character. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I I know we're running long, but uh, the last thing we were going to talk about that we agreed that we would talk about was uh, Final Fantasy VII. So this brings us to Final Fantasy VII because it is relevant. It is hot. Hot Um, takes here. Right out of the oven. Just flipping these hot takes on the griddle. Get your syrup, kids. So Final Fantasy VII... What's Final Fantasy VII, Dylan? If you haven't heard of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, like... <laughs> You're not a real gamer. No, shut up. No. <laughs> I didn't say that. I know. But yeah, no, Final Fantasy VII is one of the largest games on the PlayStation 1. 
definitely put Final Fantasy as a franchise on the map in the greater gaming conscious. Yeah. And so because it was such a huge cultural touchstone, guess what? They're remaking it. Um, and also, guess what? It had a bunch of sequels and spinoffs and crossovers in the early 2000s. Um, so when all the sequels and spinoffs and crossovers were happening, there was also a lot of hype and buzz about a potential remake. And that had a cast, some of which have been voicing the characters since 2001. The voice of the main character, Cloud, was voiced by Steve Burton, uh, who, who performed the character on in Kingdom Hearts. So these the the voices the established voices for Final Fantasy VII have been such basically since two decades ago. <laughs> uh, so he's got a tenure going. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so there was always like a, a bit of a buzz, some hype around the prospect of them actually voicing you know the game that started it all, <laughs> like if and when it eventually got remade. But and they were even in the the voices for Cloud and uh, Barrett, fellow Final Fantasy VII cast member Barrett, were in some of the previous trailers, uh, like back in 2015. Yeah, because this game has been in development for a bit. <laughs> but yeah, so so Cloud's been like a huge character, huge recognizable character, and you know when the remake, when we saw gameplay of the remake and cutscenes of the remake, we were getting those classic voices. And then recently, they were showing new trailers with new voices, and people were like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Are they really doing this to us? (laughs) (laughs) To cut to the chase, yes, they did get recast. Uh, The stated reason was because because they were doing a new Final Fantasy VII that is actually largely going to ignore the continuity of the sequels and spinoffs and crossovers and all that stuff. They decided it might be best to start with a fresh cast. I don't know how I feel about that. I think the new cast is good. They they do a great job. And there's a lot of new dialogue that really, I guess, to, to focus in on the localization, They the, you can tell like the, the localizers get what people love about these characters. Um, They actually, the scripts between the Japanese and the English are very different to kind of reinforce that you know, the people who grew up with Final Fantasy VII back in 1997 are used to a completely different version of the character, yeah. the characters, yeah. than the ones, the, than people in Japan. Um, And if you want to look more into that, you should check out Kotaku's Let's Mosey, a slow localization of Final Fantasy VII by Tim Rogers. <laughs> it's a great video. <laughs> so good. Let's Mosey uh, is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like the phrase Let's Mosey has... Let's Mosey is a complete mistranslation. Like, the the translator back in 1997 completely missed the point of what Cloud said in the original Japanese because it was a callback to when Eris died. And so he had to kind of improvise something on the spot because he didn't have time to check the whole script and, like, notice that or spot that. And so, but, you know, Cloud is beloved because he's remembered as this dork who would say something like Let's Mosey. And... When they were showing gameplay of Final Fantasy VII at E3, the guy presenting it started by saying, let's mosey. And so I think it's it's kind of this acknowledgement that, like, it's an acknowledgement of the the different perspective of this ca- these this cast that the two cultures have. Yeah. But Which anyway, let's to, get back. Oh, sorry. Go I ahead. I was going to say, that speaks to a very nuanced look, look at how 
localization works and what localization's purpose is. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and so to wrap this up, let's talk back about the voices, the new voice cast. I was 12 when I first saw Final Fantasy VII Advent Children and when I played Kingdom Hearts 2 and, you know, all that good stuff. And I got indro- indoctrinated I into got the experience. world of Final Fantasy VII. At the same time, I think I'm excited. I am excited for this new cast. Uh, partially because they are... I, I know for a fact that the voice of Aerith and the voice of another Final Fantasy VII character, Jesse, uh, are voiced by people who grew up playing the original. And there's there's kind of this sense of... I don't want to say passing the torch because that's corny and cheesy and <laughs> dumb. Um, but I, I think there's, there is this sense of, like, this is a new Final Fantasy VII. And these are... Uh, we are going to usher that in with new blood with a new perspective. And that's something exciting. The fact that they are deliberately saying we are going for something different. Uh, we are not acknowledging any of Final Fantasy VII sequels or spinoffs or any of that stuff. Uh, we are, you know, we are taking a magnifying class, magnifying class. We are taking a magnifying glass uh, very closely to the original game, looking at what worked about it, what people like about it. And then we are going to add new stuff that we think will enhance the plot beats of that old stuff. I don't know. I, th- I think there's something exciting about that. There's something exciting about that. There's something refreshing about that. And uh, as someone who has been a fan of Final Fantasy since I was 10 or 11, <laughs> like uh, I, I'm eager to see where they go. Yeah, I think it's cool that they're taking sort of kind of that perspective we were talking about that we have at the beginning of like treating it like another pass at this thing treating it like you know respecting what's there and respecting what it means to people but also letting new creative minds come in and take a crack at that i think that that's admirable yeah so uh i think that's that's gonna call it that's gonna wrap it i english fun conversation to have yeah, no, it was it was good. I'm glad I'm glad we prepared it a week in advance. Yeah, boy howdy, it would have been <laughs> necessary. But yeah, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing us ramble on about this this kind of niche topic uh, and give a hopefully a, a perspective that maybe you hadn't heard before. Maybe you, maybe you learned something this week. In either case, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Until then, please do think about you know leaving a rating, leaving a review in your podcatcher of choice telling people about this show that you found that you like, anyone you know who's interested in games or acting or classics, I guess, with this episode. <laughs> Send them our way. Let them, let them come knock on the office door and listen to what your two friends, Chris and Dylan, have to say. Also, you can check us out at our website, bsgpod.com. It's got bios for me and Dylan. It's got contact forms. It's got a glossary of terms. It's got all kinds of stuff. And you can also find our podcast, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, but most notably Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. All right, if you uh, you want to check out our social media, <laughs> what, Who is what's this wrong? Character? Oh I no, like sorry, him. Dylan. Dylan got recast. I'm the new Dylan. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Stick to the bit. <laughs> Yeah, if you uh, if you want to check out our, our social media, you can find us on Facebook. You can check us out on Twitter. Our, our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can find us on YouTube. Um, if you like us, if you want to talk about us, if you want to engage with us, I think you should use the hashtag BSGpod. <laughs>
Also, huge, huge thanks for Brendan French. I don't know the guy personally, but he seems like a peach. Uh, he provided the key art for, for our show, so if you want to check him out, you should find him on Brendan-French. Uh, Mr. Hastings, it clearly says in the copy that you're supposed to refer to him as a friend. <laughs> our good friend, Brendan French. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you fucking dare drop this bit. This is the best thing that's ever happened in this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> you should check him out at brennan-french.squarespace.com. Good friend. Lovely friend. Love him. Uh, that's uh, B-R-E. <laughs> that's B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen french.squarespace.com you can also find him on instagram.com slash brennan french arts hey wanted to also shout out our friend bio <laughs> he's the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality he's got some great electronica music out and you can find him by going to soundcloud.com slash bio that's b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y or uh, searching for bio on spotify we also want to thank the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. Check them out at HPVG Pod Network on in, on uh, Twitter and give some of the other shows a listen. And one more big thank you to our patrons. Patreon.com slash BSGPod is the way that you can do that. This is Chris, by the way. I don't know if you recognize me because I oh, have no, also no, been I, recast. I, I put it together. I, yeah. I got, a, got, a, got a note from the producers. Yeah, you know. You know how it is in the industry. You just lose jobs sometimes. It's fine. <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyway, thank you all for listening. Be at patreon.com slash bsgpod if you want to check us out, and we will talk to you again next Goodbye. week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We love you. Bye.